Hello? Hello? If you have your Bibles, open it to Matthew chapter 5. If you need a Bible, there's one on the back table here, and there's some on the round table over there. And so, are you guys warm, cool, everything okay, temperature? Okay? Okay. All right. We're continuing in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, one of the most powerful sermons uh, ever. Um, the only ones that would be comparable to it would be some of Jesus' other sermons, I suppose. Uh, but one of the things that's important to do as we go through this entire sermon is to remember who he's talking to. Remember the context of what's taking place here. Because if you just kind of jump in in the middle, you can get the wrong tone. And I've heard it taught that way a number of times where someone will start talking about something and it seems like, man, Jesus is really upset and he's really mad at these people. But remember, this starts in the beginning of chapter 5 and really verse 3 where Jesus begins and he's talking blessing to the people, where he he wants to show the blessing to them, the blessing of God. And we also need to remember who he's talking to. He's talking to his disciples, but he's also talking to all those who have chosen to come and follow him. In chapter 7, verses 28 and 29, it says, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the things that we're going to be looking at tonight and the next few nights, The crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as the teachers of the law. And so he is talking to the crowd who decided to follow after him. He has started off with saying, you're blessed if this is your condition, which we talked about last week. And just to lead into verses 12 or 13 on, Let's start at verse 3 and just kind of remind ourselves of what Jesus is saying so that we can get the tone and kind of a little bit more of really where he is coming from as we move forward. He says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And so this is our context. This is how we move forward, and and let's move forward in verse 13. Jesus says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. He goes on and he says in verse 14, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. 
In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. As Jesus continues, he starts off and he says, you are. He doesn't say, you should be, or this is what you ought to be, or you need to try and become this. He says, you are. Now, I don't know how that strikes you, but that's a little intimidating. No one usually comes up to this person and say, you know, hey, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. That's not usually how we think of ourselves or other people, as a matter of fact. But Jesus talks to his disciples and to those who are following him. Those who are saying, you know, we are interested in following you. We are interested in who you are, Jesus. And he says to those who are following after him, you are the salt of the earth. This actually starts at a point of grace and humility. Because this isn't something you make yourself to be. This is something that God gives to you. And I think it's important to recognize that this is the starting point. That God has to do something to make us salt. To make us the light. And the idea of the salt of the earth. Salt was very prominent at that time, used for preserving as well as for flavor. I mean, we mostly know it for taste. You put some salt in the soup or something, you know, little dried tomatoes with some salt, need salt, you know, just have to have it. But at that time, they didn't have refrigeration. And so if they were taking fish from, say, Damascus to Jerusalem and it had to travel, well, so that it wouldn't get bacteria and all kinds of just corrosion and, and deterioration in it, they would pack it in salt to preserve it so that it could make the journey without getting spoiled. And so when Jesus says, you are the salt, you are that which is here to preserve. You are that which is supposed to help keep this knowledge of what God is about in the world. And it's real important that we recognize that this is the case because this is something that God wants us to be. And it's really what he is giving to those who will follow him. Not by merit, but a gift. In Matthew 4, 16, it says, The people living in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of shadow of death. He quotes from Isaiah. We talked about that earlier, that Jesus himself is the light, and it is only by him that we too now are the salt and the light. We follow him, we walk with him, and who he is is now a part of who we are. And so that keeps us in a place of dependency. It keeps us in a place where we have to stay with him. Because if you move away from him, you're no longer very salty. You're no longer the light. It's only in him, this light that has come and was given to, again, the Gentiles. And, you know, I, I doubt that we see ourselves in this way. At least I don't. And you need to understand that you're God's plan A. 
and he doesn't have a plan B. You're it. God says, I'm choosing you. You now are the salt of the earth. This isn't something, you know, that you uh, signed up for. In fact, you're probably saying, I didn't sign up for this. You know, how do I sign out of it? I mean, we're so hesitant to step into these kinds of roles. I, I didn't ask to be the, the salt of the earth. Jesus says, tough. If you're following me, that's who you are. There's no if, ands, or but. It's just what you are now becoming if you are following after me. And again, we are so resistant to these things. We are so resistant to take responsibility because that means a less freedom for ourselves. That means whatever it is in our mind that thinks we can't go over those things, we can't follow after those things, but we have to see here that the church exists for the world, not for ourselves. That we are here for others, just like Jesus. And we're not here for ourselves. We're not a community, a nice social group. We're not like the, what's that group that has the little cars? You know, the, oh, the Shriners. The Shriners, yeah. I always dug those cars. I mean, that, Man, if, if I, you know, if I was going to join a group, I'd join the Shriners. They get to drive those little cars and wear those funny hats. But that's not what we are about. We're not about a little group for ourselves. And I'm sure the Shriners do good things, but we are here for the world, not for ourselves. The church exists for the world. And I think that's a major problem in the church today is that we've turned inward. And our programs now are about ourselves. It's all about us being edified. It's all about being ministered to. It's all about how we can become more and more and more blessed. And we forget that you're not here for yourself. You are the salt of the earth. Now, this salt is for preserving. We are preserving the truth of who God is in the lives of the people around us, in our community. How? By, by living lives of worship. We add flavor by showing up and loving and caring for people. It's really important that we recognize that this is, again, who we're supposed to be. We're supposed to add flavor. We're supposed to preserve. A lot of times I think we think we're the salt shaker. We're the ones who decide how much salt gets poured on. And we don't do a very good job of that. We just kind of like to overbearing with salt. Have you ever poured salt on a slug? Don't do that. It's wrong. It's a bad thing. You shouldn't do that. But when you're a kid, it's miraculous, okay? It's an amazing thing as it's just sick and the bubbling and dissolving and it's just... Gross, and I think sometimes what we do is we want to just pour salt on people. You know, we have the truth, and so I'm going to give it to you, and I'm going to take off the lid, and I'm just going to pour it. And if you have a nice steak, you ruin it by just dumping salt on it. And so many times I think we just think that's our job is to put how much, but Jesus doesn't say, you decide how much salt. He just says, you are the salt. God's the one who gives the degree of how much, and so we need to allow him to do this. This is something that's supposed to season. He's the one who does that. 
with us and through us. We don't decide how much salt we're going to be. We just are the salt. It's supposed to be a natural thing. You are. It doesn't say, go be the salt. Go be the salt to those people over there. He just says, you are. Your life is supposed to be lived in such a way that it brings flavor, that it brings this preserving quality about it because of who you are. There is a lot of hurt in our world. There is a lot of fear. And I'm just talking about in, in our lives, in the United States, in our community, in Upland, and, and in the Inland Empire or L.A. County. I'm not talking about in Haiti or Africa where there's other issues. Just in our lives, there is such need for people to recognize that they are loved, for people to understand that God really cares and has good things in store for them if they will follow him. And there are a lot of people who are living without hope, who are living in depression, who are overwhelmed with insecurities and fears. And what they need is someone who can step in and be that flavor of the love of God, who can be that person that person that just preserves them in the care and nurture of God. When you're hurting and you're going through something, you don't need someone to tell you what you need to do. Sometimes all you need is someone who you can hug. Someone you can cry on their shoulder and just know that they love and care for you. And it means so much more. When my kids were younger and they'd fall off their bike or jump off the wall and their shoestring would stay attached to the fence. And so they didn't land feet first. We had to take them to the hospital to, to get stitches, to do the x-rays and all those things. They didn't need a lecture on what they should do next time. They just needed mom or dad to be there to hold their hand. We are the salt of this earth. And we need to recognize that this is our place. He gives a warning in a sense that he says, if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? You can't. My wife likes pretzels, but she likes the salt. You know, those big pretzels with the salt on them. This is another gross thing, but okay. <laughs> One time, she used to like to lick the salt off the pretzels. And then she'd just put them back on the plate. Anyway, we'll just stop right there. <laughs> but once the salt is off the pretzel, it's just not as good. Trust me. 
how, how can you make it salty again? And, you know, I don't believe Jesus, you know, when he says it's good for nothing but to be trampled underfoot, I don't think this is like, man, if you lose that saltiness, you're, you're going to go to hell. I don't think this, again, the context is just coming off of blessing. But I think he, what he's saying is this is useless. It's foolishness. If you're following Jesus and your life isn't full of the flavor of who Jesus is, then where are you? It's like Jesus is walking and then you look behind and he's not there. Or he looks behind and you're not there. Where are you? Because if you're following me, this is who you are. And so this is to challenge us. First of all, recognize that Jesus sees you probably greater than you see yourself. Jesus sees you with more potential than you recognize you have. No matter who you are. He was talking to the people there and he says, you are the salt of the earth. You might think, well, no, I don't know how to speak very well. No, I'm very insecure. You know, I have this problem recalling information. I just don't have what it takes. You know, he's not surprised. He doesn't say, huh, you know, now that you mentioned it, yeah, you don't. What are you doing here? How'd you make the team? He doesn't say that. He's not surprised and he didn't make a mistake when he says you are the salt of the earth. He sees you as this. This is your potential to preserve and to flavor the lives of those around you with who God is, with his love and the truth of who he is. That's your potential. And so first of all, he sees you probably greater than you see yourself and then he expects you to stay in that place. If you're not there, he says, what good are you? And so he sets a goal that's probably higher than you would set for yourself. And then he wants to encourage you to get there. And not to quit. Not to turn away. But to see yourself as he sees you. How do you see yourself? Do you see yourself as the salt of the earth? If you say, no, I don't. Are you following Jesus? Well, yeah, I am. Then who are you going to believe? Who do you want to win this argument, Jesus or yourself? No, I'm not the salt of the earth. Jesus says you are. Who do you want to win? Who do you want to win this argument? Do you want less for yourself or do you want what Jesus has told us we are to be? And he moves on and he says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, this is the outcome of our lives, again, when we are following Christ. This is what the nation of Israel was supposed to be to the world. They were supposed to be the example to the world around them, to the, all the other nations of who the true and living God was. That is now our role. We are his followers, the church, and we are to be that example of who God is. And a light is placed up so that it illuminates below. And once again, he says, you are. It's not like you have to be the light. Oh man, I got to really be the light today. No, you already are. Recognize your position if you're a follower of Christ and then be. 
be that light. And again, I think many times we have this idea of, you know, we are going to shine the light on the dark areas. And we want to focus the light on the wrong things of people. You know, if I'm the light, I'm going to show those people where they're wrong. Like a flashlight, like a policeman with a flashlight and shines it in your eyes. I'm the light of the world. Let me see the darkness in your life. And so many times that's how it comes across. When I used to live behind my ground, full of gross analogies today, but oh well. Um, I learned it from Michael. Um, when I used to live behind my grandmother's house, one day I was sitting there, and I mean, it was a nice place in East L.A., but the little back area was next to a lot of wood, and it was kind of an old patio that was run down. And one day I was sitting down on the, the floor because I didn't really have furniture. I had these pillows that were my, my couch kind of a thing. Hey, it was a long time ago. And I was sitting watching TV. I think I was eating a bowl of cereal. And from underneath the door, two cockroaches, not just one, two, came walking in. And I was like, whoa, they just come walking in the door. And so, you know, I scooted them out, and, and then I went and bought some raid and some roach killer. And I went out at night with a flashlight, and I was roach hunting. And I'd go out there, and whenever i see one, I'd spray it, and it was like the coolest thing. It was like hunting, and there was lots of them. And I would go and try and shine the light and find them and kill them. And I think so many times that, I know you guys are getting lost in the illustrations, but so many times I think that is a picture of what the church tries to do. We're going to find that roach. We're going to find that darkness. We're going to find the people who are not living the way they should be living, and we're going to spray them, and we're going to kill whatever is bad, and then we're going to say, hey, want to come join us? And it's just, it doesn't work good. It doesn't work like that. We're supposed to be something that people see and are drawn to. We're to be those people that people see us like that city that's set on the hill that they can now see, oh, that's where we want to go. I remember during one of the earthquakes, I think in Silmar, that every, all the lights went out and it was just completely dark in that area because of the earthquake. But in and out had their own power generator and they were able to stay lit. And so in the middle of this darkness, there was the in and out sign. It was a, a beacon of hope. Proof that God is with the In-N-Out hamburger. <laughs> there was this light, and they actually were a place for the firefighters and people to come because they were able to generate their own electricity. And it was, it was like a magnet for those people who needed water and those things. They could go to where there was light. We're to be that light, that people are drawn to us. And, and it's interesting because he says that if we are this light, the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds. That word good isn't morally good, like we would think. It's not talking about doing certain things, but it has to do more with attractive in quality. It's like that shirt looks good on you, or, or that hamburger was good. It has that kind of flavor to it. And so it's not talking about a moral goodness, but it's talking about a quality of goodness that is attractive to people. So that when they see you, they would stop and take notice and that they would want to be a part of that. You know, one of the things that we're wanting to do with this upcoming Advent conspiracy that we're going to be doing in December is 
one of the things we want to do is is kind of make Christmas about worship again by doing things that reflect the heart and nature of who Jesus is. And so we're going to be looking at different opportunities of where we can, instead of buying all the gifts that we normally buy, maybe take some of that money and give it towards Haiti or towards our community in the schools or towards Mexico in clothes and some things like that. And we're going to look at things of how we can be light to the people so that people will see our good deeds and maybe they would want to go to Mexico with us. Hey, can I go with you and help distribute clothes to an orphanage? Yeah, you can come worship with us. See what we're doing? We're, we're making this really about Jesus. And, and I'm reminded of when we went to Mississippi, I think it was in 2005, uh, Christmas. We went there after... Hurricane Katrina had devastated the area, went to Bay St. Louis and put on a, a Christmas event for the people that were in there, fed them, had a whole production, gave gifts to the kids. And I remember that when one of my cousins heard that we were going there, she gave money. She gave us some money. She said, can you use this money to give to, to, towards those people that are there? She, she's not a person who's following Christ, but she saw what we were doing, and it was attractive to her, and she wanted to be a part of it. And she gave us a check for, I think it was $200 or something like that. And it was so neat because when we were down there, the guy who was running the, the organization that we were a part of and kind of heading things up, there was one lady who needed a new roof. And the materials for the roof that she needed was $200. And we were able to give him the check for $200. He was able to go buy the material and build this lady a new roof. And I was able to go tell my cousin, hey, that money you gave, this is what it went to. And you see, you're the light of the world. Let your, your good deeds be so attractive that people want to be a part of them. That they'll see these things and they'll glorify your Father in heaven. That they will actually worship the God you're worshiping, maybe without even fully knowing it. And so that's what we want to do in this upcoming Advent Conspiracy. I gave you guys a little hint. Shh, don't tell anyone. Um, but that's what we want to do with our lives. Is we want to live in such a way that it brings attractiveness to the things that God is doing in us and through us, because that's who we are. And again, I think of the needs around us. How many people are in difficult situations, financially, emotionally? And what if you just cared about someone who was hurting maybe like you, and reached out to help someone out and just offered to pray. You know, I don't have any money that I can give you, but I want to pray for you and your family. And you did pray for them. Just say, I'm going to pray for you and forget. But you actually pray and remember them. And when you see them again, you ask, hey, how is the situation going? How are you doing? It's a quality that's good. It's a quality that's appealing. It's being who we're meant to be. 
And you see, we need to stay in this you are place. We need to recognize this position because you, you don't hide it or try to make it happen. It's not your energy, it's his. It's his flavor, it's his light. We just are with it. And it's important that we stay focused on the right things instead of trying to be the light, the flashlight that shines out in the darkness. I'm going to make you praise my Father in heaven. That never works out very good. But by being the light, it allows that to come in and that understanding of who we are that reflects Jesus Christ. And what Jesus is doing here is really giving us this picture of what we are supposed to be. Um, you know, this study of how missions takes place. It's missiology. It's a big word for that. Just how, how do missions take place? And uh, Leslie Newberg, who wrote a book about this, he, he talks about how Jesus goes into a culture and out of that culture brings out a people to himself that we call the church. It's a little five-minute thing on missiology, okay? So he goes into this culture, gathers to himself these people to be like him that's called the church. What he then does with these people is he then sends them into the culture and the cultures around them to repeat that process to go and bring other people to this gospel, to this person of Jesus that becomes aware of who Jesus is, becomes like Jesus, and becomes the church. And you see, that's what we're supposed to do. That is our job, is to go into the society and culture around us. Now, there's two things that happen that kind of go into these extremes. And we have to be careful because as Jesus shows up in the world and these people come to him, he sends them back to be the salt, to be the light. And what makes us stand out and attractive to the people is that you're different. Even though you're a part of their culture and in their midst, you stand out. You're, you're different than them. You, you don't engage yourself in the same things that they do. You don't succumb to the same problems maybe that they do. You, you have this model of who Christ is that you follow that keeps you both salt and light. And the extremes that we tend to go to is one is syncretism. And what that is, is as you go into the culture, the culture then begins to shape your life, not Jesus. You go into school. You, you go into your workplace, you go into this area of your family and friends, and they start to shape the things that you do, not Jesus. Pretty soon, you're right back to where they are. And you involve yourself in the same things that they do. And so, you know, maybe you're drinking, getting drunk, maybe you're sleeping with your girlfriend, you're, you're just a part of these things, and, and Jesus has said, I want you to be separate. But you're saying, well, I'm involved with these things, this is what I'm used to doing, I'm doing the same things. And pretty soon, you can't tell the difference. Well, I believe in Jesus, but I live the same as you, and where's the salt? The flavor is gone. I, I thought you stood for something different, I thought you represented Jesus, 
But you party just like I do. You, you do the same things, and I think this is a real issue in our society and, and in the church today. You see, you, you have the right language. You call yourself Christian in the generic sense. You go to the Bible studies. You, you have a bumper sticker on your car or whatever. You have the right language, but not the right values or character. And your salt has no flavor. There's no difference. It's just a matter of what you think. And no longer the things you do shape who you are. And that's one of the avenues where the syncretism, you just kind of become the same. Another issue, or, or I guess the opposite part of the spectrum, is a sectarianism, where you're so far removed from the culture that you're not light and darkness, you're light in the lighthouse. And you give no illumination to the people around you because you don't hang out with the people around you. They estimate that within the first 18 months, when someone comes to faith in Christ, that they no longer have any friends who are Christian. They no longer know anyone who is a follower of Christ, that they get rid of all that element in their life. And I think one of the reasons that takes place is fear. Well, I don't want that to drag me down. I don't want this person to do that. But you see, now what you're doing is you're removing yourself from the culture that Christ has called us to, to be a part of. And now you're just light under a bucket. So one position has no salt, no flavor, no difference. The other position is in a bucket and doesn't shine to anyone except the people in their community, their little faith community. And what Christ is calling us to do is live this dangerous life of being a part of a society that is groping its way, trying to find the truth, that is doing a lot of destructive things to themselves, just hoping to find life, hoping to find whatever was going to satisfy them, and it's a vacuum. They keep filling this hole, filling this hole, filling this hole, and nothing satisfies it. And Jesus says, I want you to go in there, and I want you to be different. I don't want you to keep going after the same things that they're going after and never being filled, I want you to be salt, so that when they come to you, you have this preserving aspect about you. You have this flavor that is attractive. You're not given in to all the things that are destroying them, that are destructive to who they are, to the relationships that they're in, to the people that God has created them to be. You don't give in to those things. But I don't want you to, to be so exclusive that you're not a part of that at all. You have to be there so that your life can be attractive. It can be a light that draws them to you. And that's a dangerous place to be. There's no doubt about it. It's not a comfortable place sometimes. Where's the balance? Where's the boundaries? You gotta walk there. You gotta find the boundaries. You have to be close to Jesus so that you stay salt and you stay light. But we want to protect our kids. And so we put them out from the public school and we put them in closets and lock the door. Well, we don't do that. We just put them in the youth group. We put them someplace nice and safe. Don't, don't, don't be influenced by anyone else. And Jesus says, 
They are salt. They are light. You can't protect them. You need to be in the midst of them and allow them to be who they are. But it's dangerous. It's a dangerous world. Anyone notice that? It's just a dangerous world. And it doesn't matter if you're in youth group. I know kids who've gotten in more trouble in youth group than kids who've been outside of youth group. I'm serious. It's a dangerous world. You are salt. You are light. You can't lose that flavor. You have to remain unique and like Jesus. And you can't take it away from the world and put it under a bucket. You have to remain that place and you have to recognize this is where he's called us to be. You know, if you're involved with everything and everyone else is involved with and you say, hey, yeah, you need to believe in Jesus. They say, why? What's the difference between you and me? Well, nothing really. I go to church. Yeah, it's okay. I'm good. I don't need to go to church. But if they see something that they like in you, that draws them. You know, when people see the relationship that I have with my wife or the way you conduct yourself with your family or kids and they like that, they're drawn to that, then they're willing to ask questions and want what you have. But if it's no different than what they have, then why are they going to care? And then the same thing is true if you know, you're living in this lighthouse and every now and then you want to go out into the world and say, hey, come to my lighthouse, I'll show you how dark you are. You know, or how the darkness you're living in. It's like, no, that's okay. That doesn't work real well. You know, and you go to two midweek studies, you're in a small group, you go to Christian concerts, crusades, and your light is seen in the bucket. You're busy. Busy being the light to who? To those who are the light. Instead, let your light shine because of who you are and who you follow in the world around you. That's what we're supposed to be. And you see, how do you love your neighbor when it's someone you don't really care for? How do you love that person who has hurt you? And Jesus is going to talk about these things as we move forward. You don't pretend. Well, I'm supposed to. I'll just pretend, and then I'll talk about them afterwards. Sometimes you just have to make yourself vulnerable and say, God, I don't really love that guy. I don't really love that girl. Can you help me? Can you change me? God, I know what you want me to be, and I, I'm not really being that, so can you make me that? See, it's not about acting phony. It's about wanting genuine. I, I want to be salt. I want to be the light, and only you can make me that. Only you can make me to be in that place where I am salt, where I am light. And we need to recognize that. You know, the syncretism, it's easy to see and identify. Those are things, you know, if you gauge in, you know, you, you lose your saltiness and you're able to see those things. Oh, yeah, you know, you shouldn't be drunk. Oh, yeah, you shouldn't be fornicated. Oh, yeah, these things are the obvious things. And if someone does those things, you can point to them and say, yeah, that's bad, that's bad. Oh, yeah, that's bad, that's bad. But do we ever say, or, or have we ever seen a pastor who doesn't know anybody who's not a believer and say, that's a sin? 
because I think it is, to what Jesus is calling us to do. You are the salt of the world. If I'm a Christian, and it doesn't matter, pastor, deacon, elder, anyone, if I'm a follower of Jesus and I'm not in the world being salt and being light, then it's wrong. It's wrong. But we don't say that. We don't say, oh, that's, that's a sin. That's a problem. But again, either one is not fulfilling what it's supposed to. It's not being salt. It's not being light. It's not doing what it's supposed to do. And so the idea of missiology is to be involved in the world, making a difference, bringing them to this understanding of who Jesus is, and then that process repeating itself. Okay, we're going to go on. I'm going to go in verse 17 here. Let's read down to verse 20. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappears, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teachings, teaches others accordingly will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus presents this at the beginning, and this is something that he was accused constantly of, as being against the law of Moses, against the things of the law. But he says, don't think I've come to abolish or to destroy or to disintegrate the law is what he's talking about. Don't think I've come to erode that. I'm not against that. And then he says, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And think of the word fulfill as fill to the full. Because fill and full, they actually are the same word here. And so the idea is he has everything that is necessary for these things. And Jesus filled up the full meaning of the Old Testament. It's commands and promises, it's precepts and prophecies, it's symbols and types. This he did in his life, his ministry, his death, and his resurrection. Jesus filled to the full all the things that the Old Testament, he is the, the culmination of these things. All the things that the law and the prophets spoke about, Jesus is the completion of those things. And so when they're saying, oh, Jesus, he was against the thing, I'm not against anything. And when he says, for truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappears, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of the pen. In the Hebrew writings, just some of the smallest dash, it would be like the dot on the I or the comma. Not one single thing that was written in those things is going to go away. I didn't come to abolish any of that. I came to see those completed to the full. And, and so there's this understanding that I'm not here to destroy these things, but I'm here to bring about the fulfillment of them. And that's the whole purpose and his whole ministry. And as he talks again about in verse 19, therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. He's saying if anyone is against these things, 
They are against what's happening in the kingdom of heaven. But if someone is for them, they're great. They're a part of that. And remember when Jesus was speaking to the Pharisees, and he says, you search the scriptures, and in them you think you have life, but they are they which testify of me. And so Jesus is telling them, if you're against the things that God has written, you're going to find yourself outside of what God is doing in the kingdom. Because the kingdom of heaven is culminated in the person of Jesus Christ. And the person who sees what was taking place, how those things in the Old Testament were pointing to the fulfillment in Jesus Christ, they will see and be a part of and great in the kingdom of God. They will be a part of that work. And then he gets personal in verse 20. And Jesus always gets personal. He always touches that spot that's sensitive. And he's doing it here with the religious people of that time. And, and be assured in the weeks to come, he's going to do it to you and me as well. As we go through the scriptures, we're going to read and he, you're going to see some things. You go, that's kind of might be me. And he has his way of touching those things, but it's with a purpose. And as in, he says in verse 20, I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Remember what he said in verse 3? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He's really taking us full circle back there. The Pharisees, that's the religious elite of that time. Those who had it all together. Jesus is saying, they don't have it together enough. You want to be a part of the kingdom of heaven? You need to recognize how bankrupt you are. Then you can be a part of it. And he's going to go on and talk about what this righteousness is in the verses to come, we're not going to cover it tonight. But he's going to go on and, and give examples of what God is really after. Because God is after the motives and the character of our heart. The rest of the chapter, he gives six examples of how he wants this righteousness that is greater. And we're going to see what God cares about is the core of who we are. You know, it's easy to go through motions and be detached from the truth. It's easy to go through things just because that's what you do. That's what I'm supposed to do. That's what our tradition teaches us. And as we go through these things, recognize Jesus is talking to us. When we see the word Pharisees, we need to see, do I fit in that category, or am I the poor in spirit? Because it's really easy to switch from one camp to the other. I read this article about those who are occupying Wall Street right now, and I was reading someone's dialogue on Facebook. It was man, it was huge, going back and forth about you know why they agree, why they disagree, why who this is, what this is. And this article in the L.A. Times was talking about a large number of the students who are protesting there on Wall Street have huge student loans. There was one that they interviewed who owed $90,000 and he wasn't able to get a job. And so he's there protesting. And the question was posed, you know, if these people really had jobs instead of the loan debt, would they be out there or would be, 
they be working in and would things be okay if they weren't in that condition? One guy owed $60,000 he was protesting, but then he joined the army because he wanted to help. They had some incentive that they would help their student loans. And so he's real quick to switch camps with what his beliefs were depending on how it benefited him. And I think people do that a lot. And people do that with Jesus a lot. I'll be in Jesus' camp if I can get something good out of it. The Pharisees, I'll be in Jesus' camp or I'll be in God's camp, you know, because it gives me affluence. It gives me prestige. It gives me power. I'll be with God if it gives me the girlfriend, if it gives me the boyfriend, if it gives me something that I want. And Jesus says, if your righteousness isn't better than that, you're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. See, what God is wanting are those who recognize their condition, recognize they're without hope if they're without him. And to those he say, you, you're the salt of this earth. But I'm empty. I've got nothing. Exactly. That's exactly the kind of person's life I can fill with my presence. You are the light. But I, I, I don't know what I'm meek. I, I don't have the ability to be forceful and, and controlling and take command of these situations. I, I, I'm just kind of subdued and I just want to be righteous, but I'm not righteous. I, I want those things. I hunger for those things. And he says, exactly. You are the person who is the light of the world because it is in you I can shine without it being blocked by your own pride, by your own condition. And so Jesus is talking to the multitudes. And I just read one book that said, do we ever recognize that Jesus comes on the scene and his first sermon, he says, all of you who think you're right, you're out. And all of you who think you're wrong, you're in. Because that's just what he did. It's just what he did. You think you don't have a chance with God? You think you're far from God? You're in. What? You're the salt. You're the light. But I am not righteous. I want to be, but I'm not. Yeah, that's the person I want. Get in. Those who think they're right, I go. To, I do all these things. I've got it together. The Pharisee who could looked at the sinner and said, thank God I'm not like that publican. He says, ah, get out of here. You're not in. What does that do to you? puzzle you? Does that make you curious? Does that make you wonder where you're at? It should. It should stir you. It should make you think, oh my gosh, this is crazy. Who, who's in? Who's out? Those who hunger, those who thirst, those who are poor in spirit, those who are meek. Those are the ones that he's looking for, those who are merciful, just like we talked about last week. And so recognize that those who are in this condition, Jesus calls the salt of the world, calls them the light of the or salt of the earth, the light of the world. And then he goes on and he tells us that this righteousness has to be from him. Otherwise, it's not good enough. And we'll talk about that next week. Let's pray. <laughs> Jesus, your words shake us. They rattle the foundations of all the things that we thought secure. They 
test the very core of our being and question the things that need to be questioned. Lord, you, you see us completely. You know us and all of our shortcomings. And if we will but acknowledge our true condition, you are ready and willing and able to meet our needs and to change us so that we are the salt of the earth, we are the light of the world, that we are people who represent you. You are able to use us as deficient as we are and make us your representatives. God, that's just amazing. And Lord, you know the hearts of everyone here. You, you know that I know there are people who think I, I am not that. I'm just, I'm not that person. I, I can't be the light of the world. I can't be the salt of the earth. Lord, we are full of insecurity. We are, we're full of doubts. We, we question, Lord, our abilities. We, we, we see our inabilities. And, Lord, we need to recognize that so do you. And in that vacancy and in that lack, you're willing to step in so that we can be salt and light that the world needs. And Lord, I pray that we would take that responsibility of who you make us and we would engage the world around us, that we wouldn't run away, that we wouldn't want to hide and escape, be free from it, that we wouldn't want to be contaminated and lose our flavor, but we would want to remain people that reflect you completely. God, that, that is such a balance, how to live that life. And it is a dangerous life, and it is a challenge, but you've called us to be bold people. You've called us to live our lives for you. In, in fact, you said if we want to save our life, we will lose it. But if we will lose our life for your sake, then and only then can we find it. And so, God, you are calling us to this dangerous place. And it's in this place that your power, your grace, your mercy is revealed. Lord, that's what we desire. That's what we need. And so I pray that you would help us to walk into this place, to live this life that you called us to live, that we might be your people, your church. I do ask this in Jesus' name.